HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture? We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. Mm-hmm. And so I literally would go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Christine Collado. We'll talk to Christine about wine, retail, parcel, and a lot more. We'll taste a Bourguignon Blanc Chardonnay from Rui for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Christine Collado got a quick start in fine wine and dining, in fine wine and dining at places like Dynex Groups, Bar Balud, Balud Sud, and flagship Danielle, moving to wine director at Brooklyn Fair and its three-star Michelin tasting menu. She recently left to help open Parcel Wine Store, a curated wine shop near Hudson Yards in New York City. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Christine. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you here. All right, so let's... You have an interesting background. 
let's let people in on it. So give us a little uh, more background on your journey in life and wine that got you to sort of your current gig today, which is working in retail at Parcel. Sure, sure. Uh, and I don't want to start in kindergarten. No, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess I have to say that uh, I like to tell people that I almost made a hit list. I Very early in my career, I, I, I made a, a list of people in the industry that I wanted to work for. And I used that as a guide as to how I could achieve uh, you know, in, in what I wanted. So I, I started as a server and I was learning about wine and I was excited. And So back up a second. That yeah. was in hospitality, restaurant. For that sure. was the year. Okay. Yeah. Um, early 20s. Um, and then I quickly kind of fell in love with wine and I knew that there was something there. Um, I had been working at various restaurants in kind of downtown Manhattan and um, I guess the first person that I really wanted to work for was Paul Greco, is a big lover of terroir in the East Village, and I loved the community there, and I always felt good when I was in that space. Um, and when he opened terroir in Tribeca, I applied right away. I felt like that was a great place to start in working in an atmosphere that was casual and fun, but also serious and educational. And I loved the narrative that he kind of pitched early on. He's a narrative guy. Yeah, and he's wonderful and he was a a big a big help in my confidence and my ability to speak about wine table size simultaneously, you know, doing the things that I felt really comfortable doing like serving and running food and all of the kind of 101s of of being uh, in a restaurant. What what year was that at Tawar? Oh geez, that's I want to say that's like it was 10 years almost okay. 11 years ago now okay. at this point. Um and then after terroir, I, I knew that I wanted to kind of step up my game a little bit. I was the gaining terroir is kind of casual. It was very casual. And Daniel Jonas was a, a regular there at the time. And I remember um, him kind of asking me what, what I wanted to do next. And um, I saw So that you befriended him did. when he came in and hung with him? Yeah. I think his office was it's a little It's just around the corner. East, yeah. It's not too far away. Yeah. And uh, he called me in for an interview and... Um, I, you know, he said, I think you should meet Michael Madrigal. And of course, at the time, I was a big fan of the Penier program and, and I knew what Mike was doing. And I met with them a few times. And the first time, they didn't have a spot for me. The second time, it just didn't work out. And the third time, I was kind of like, all right, guys, <laughs> what's up? Um, and Mike and I hit it off. And um, again, he was a guy that I had my eye on and I loved his narrative. I loved the execution. I loved the the hunger that he that he had for wine and the community that was going there, you know, uh, upper, you know, upper west side, people were coming for across from Lincoln Center. Exactly. And we were, you know, there was people texting us uh, at crazy times before before lineup asking for us to kind of save them a glass of wine because it was something that was irreplaceable, large you, format. You don't see that everywhere. No, you don't see he it ever. He created kind of a he created that vibe in a community. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, he really treated us, um, you know, like like friends. And it was a it was an amazing moment um, in in being able to psalm with him on the floor. And that was Barbalude and Barbalude and Blue Suit. Suit. Yeah. Then what happened? And then uh, Daniel Jonas was kind of asking me again what I'd wanted. And so uh, he thought that Restaurant Danielle was the next step for me. And uh, that was an intimidating time. I mean, that restaurant, 
at the at that time it had three Michelin stars. I had no fine dining experience at all, and they were taking a big chance on me. Um, but you wanted to fill that blank in, like let me get some fine for di- sure. So you definitely were anxious to Absolutely. try it. Yeah, and Raj was. Um, working for Raj was amazing. I mean, every single night you were opening Raj up. Raj Vadia, yeah. who's the wine director there. Absolutely. Um, you were opening up something that was significant. And one of those benchmark producers in those vintages, um, that was a real, real education and something that I'll cherish forever. Right. That's a special place. Yeah. But the fancy schmancy doesn't end there, right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, Raj, you know, you know, we became very close friends, and you know, after uh, a few beers, he said, "You know, what's your next step? Like, what's going on with you?" And I said, uh, "I'm looking to kind of create my own list or be a part of something else." And uh, Michelle Smith was leaving um, Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair um, to move to France, and they needed someone to take her position. Um, Raj, being friends with both of us, said, "I think you guys should meet, and maybe Christine might be a good replacement." which is something that he didn't have to do, but I think he really saw that um, I had the skill set and I had the ability to work uh, and perform at that level. Um, so I, I met with Cesar, and um, I think we quickly hit it off, and um, that restaurant in Brooklyn is truly special. So we're talking about Brooklyn Fair, which is another three-star Michelin restaurant, uh, a tasting counter. Yeah, 18 uh, seats. 18, there's a few more now, not Brooklyn Fairs, but tasting counters. For sure. Um, then there, there were not a lot. Um, I've eaten there, and Cesar seemed like an intense dude, was he? He is. He is, as he should but be. But good and nice. Yeah. I mean, he was good to you? Uh, Cesar was great to me. Um, so just people can imagine a Danielle or a Jean-Georges or, uh, you know, other big legacy per se. Um, Brooklyn Fair, a little different. Like you said, it was a tasting counter with how many seats? Uh, 18. You sit around, I think, a U or a horseshoe. You yep. face Cesar in the kitchen. Um, and how many courses are we talking about? Uh, it varies, but anywhere from like seven to nine. You know? Right. Yeah. A lot of fish and all of that. Yeah. Um, so you're there, and uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. You're there how long? I was there for, I mean, I had, the project was I was to be coming on board and helping facilitate the move from Brooklyn to Manhattan. And that took some time, even after I had joined the team. Um, it took us. Were you on the floor in Brooklyn? Oh, or yeah. You were? I was. I felt that it and was. And the ro- move happened while you were there? Yep. Brooklyn Fair moved from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. To 37th Street? 37th and between right. kind of 9th and 10th. Yeah. Right. Um, so how long were you at the New York location? Uh, it was in total for Brooklyn Fair. I was there for about two years. Okay. Um, so I spent about a good eight or so months in Brooklyn, and then we moved to the restaurant to Manhattan. All right. So you spend some time there, and not that long ago, you leave there. So answer two things. Why'd you leave, and where'd you go? I left personally because I guess I checked all those boxes, right? I went back to that drawing board and I saw all of the people that I'd worked with and um, I, I knew that I had to move on. And I guess that's, that's just how I am. You know, when I accomplish something, when I feel good about what I've accomplished, I, I look to something new and something, something else. And um, I knew that working the floor at that level was something that I couldn't do for uh, 
much more time. Um, you know, it's it's intense. Just it's hard. The it's, grueling intensity oh, of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, is is much of a high and adrenaline rush. It, it gets to you. It's right? a show every night. It's being yeah. on Broadway. You know, right. it's all the time. It's high performance. It's uh, there's no there's no sick days. There's no bad days. You're, long hours. There's long hours. Um, so you pack that in. I did. And you become a horse trainer or what? <laughs> I don't know what I thought I would become, um, but I knew I needed to take a break. So I left and um, I took a few months off. I traveled. I ate a lot. I slept a lot. Um, and then uh, Grant and Robert gave me a call and uh, they asked me to kind of have a coffee at Charlie Bird. And um, Grant Reynolds and Robert Bohr yeah. are principals at the Delicious Hospitality Group. Charlie Bird, Pasquale Jones, you said. Legacy Records. They opened Legacy Records. Yeah. And along with Legacy Records came... Parcel Wine. Which is where you're working now. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm just curious about a few things uh, in your past. Um, what was tougher, working the floor of a grand restaurant like a Danielle or really overseeing... Uh, a counter of limited people, you know, with a very specific menu. I, I know they're two different experiences, but what was your take on that? I think uh, Chef's Table um, was, I, I, I'd hate to say harder, but um, it required a, a different uh, attention to detail. That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. What do you mean? The intensity was there. I mean, you know, as a sommelier, I think we sometimes kind of just think about that position as just being about wine, but that position wasn't just about wine. It was managing a team. It was um, the execution uh, of dishes and, and precision and all of, uh, you know, we, that team was so small and, and, and focused on all of the aspects of one's experience there. It wasn't just about wine. Um, and Everybody... I think Handled everything. Absolutely. Clearing plates, glasses, yeah. bringing the wine out, pouring. It was a true orchestration um, by Cesar. And Is it also because it was smaller? You know, people are on top of everyone or oh, not? Oh, yeah. And, you know, everyone's conversation is mingled. Um, everyone's aware of who's right. drinking what. I mean, um, there, there aren't any hiccups. There, there's no room for error in right. that room. Um, Unlike a restaurant. You're a table away from somebody. Here you could potentially be sitting next to a stranger and sharing the same experience. Absolutely. And inevitably um, you're going to talk to people. Um, as far as the wine programs, now we're talking about six Michelin stars combined. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, kudos to you, don't you know get the chance to work through that. Thanks so much. What was harder? Was it harder to develop wine lists and pair wines at a Brooklyn Fair or at a Danielle. Now, I'll do a little setup. Danielle had the budget and a huge grand seller and had been collecting. Brooklyn Fair, you know, three stars, people have expectations, but not as big. What what, what was harder or the challenges? I think the, the, I guess the difference first and foremost was you know, Danielle, um, there was a, a set menu, a set pairing, and, and Raj really kind of set the tone. At Brooklyn Fair, when I took over the program, um, I really had the ability to do whatever I wanted. And so I got rid of those set pairings because I felt every person who dines there should 
really feel a different experience for wine, at least. You know, everyone was getting the same dishes and the same menu, but I wanted people to to be the drivers of that vehicle a little bit. And for their so, to be- explain that a little more. When you talk about pairings, you offered wine pairings, probably by the glass, not. I did, and it was pretty much set. And it's like, why is this set? This yeah. should be. I wanted to have a conversation. You know, I wanted to learn what were you into, how much money did you want to spend, and how can I tailor this experience for you. For by the glass and by the bottle? By the bottle. It's whatever you wanted. I mean, listen, I'm not, when I go out to a dinner like that, I I want to drink a great bottle of wine, maybe two, depending on how many people I'm accompanied by. Um, And I I would work something out. You could start off with a glass of Krug. You could have a half bottle of white Burgundy. You could move on to, you know, a bottle of something from the Northern Rhone with some age on it. Um, and that felt more authentic in, right. in my execution versus than just being robotic and offering them the same wine, the same food for every person. I agree. Yeah. And that's probably what made it special. Um, is it harder if you owned each restaurant and you were starting up? What's harder, curating a terrific small list or having the luxury and budget of a large list? No, Not so what you like. What's, what's it's, harder? Uh, it's harder. It's a small list. Because sure. you got to get everything right. Everything's got to be right, and everything has to have serve a purpose. Um, I think you know, not that you know. I look at the wine list like Danielle, the Modern, and those are beautiful libraries of, of wine, and they're to be cherished. But not all restaurants have the budget, and right. um, and and nor should I think a small list that's concentrated, that has a focus, that has a purpose, um, is much more exciting and much harder. Um, to, to create. And the attention towards the type of food is important to what's on the list, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, my guess from my experience was Brooklyn Fair seemed very seafood-centric. Yeah. Is that fair? Absolutely. So whites and wines that Mostly go Mostly champagne, with, whites, right. high acid, things that had nerve and energy um, to accompany kind of the freshness of the flavors that he that he's works with. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious... Do you think there's a, a movement away from fancy and fine dining? I mean, not that those places bit. are on the ropes. Yeah, They're terrific no. places. But, and we talked about this a little earlier, it plays into my millennial discussion. <laughs> I mean, are, are, are millennials coming on to the scene where they're having an influence on who's eating at a Danielle or a Brooklyn Fair or a Legacy or Pasquale Jones. What's your feeling on that? A little bit, and I think there's room for both. I think um, the younger generation um, feels more comfortable in a place that's a touch more casual and not as pretentious um, in just sheer aesthetics and formality. Um, But I think they're also aware of quality in the product um, I don't. I think there's room, especially in a city like New York, for both. But and the quality and product at Brooklyn Fair and Danielle are, you know, second to none. Yeah, but yeah. The, I mean, I have to say that I, I kind of, I think that if you're having dinner at Charlie Bird, the quality and product is there too. Fair. Um, and pizza at Pasquale Jones, and not just because I work for those guys, but because I truly believe that and always have. Uh, those are the restaurants that. Um, that have a true place in, in in our time. And work towards making it a place. Um, I think it's fair to say that probably if you look at restaurants that opened in the last five, ten years, 
move more towards the Charlie Jones, Charlie Bird, Pasquale Jones model. Oh, yeah. You know, the Daniels and all that, the grand restaurants. There's just not a lot. No. I'm sure the expense and the market, too. I mean, Um, it takes a lot of people to to pull something like that off. Yeah. Um, A guy like Daniel with a vision or Caesar, you Mm -hmm. know, guys like that. Yeah. Um, We may have approached this a little, but talk about it a little more. I mean, your reason for leaving the floor at probably, you know, among the best restaurants was did it want some change what else yeah i you know besides just the sheer um the time that i spent doing what i did um a personal choice and and want was you know and 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 what i hope to be one day is a mother right and so i um Uh (laughs) yeah so um it hasn't happened yet but um you know, I knew that the hours and personally speaking, and this is, and I, and I hope this changes big time because I would be so excited and so happy to support uh, more women that are mothers on the floor, but it's hard. And just the logistics of, of that, I, I couldn't figure that out. And so, um, I, uh, yeah, that was a part of the decision. That was a big part. Yeah. The idea of maybe eventually becoming pregnant, For working sure. partially pregnant, Working as a, a mom, yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking much tougher. You're talking like twelve hours on your feet and uh, performing at that level and high intensity and picking up a case of wine and, <laughs> and you know, it, it's it it takes a toll on your body and that's just like the sheer um, reality of it. And um, for me speaking, it wasn't something that I uh, saw um, doing much longer. So for you, it's. It was an obvious decision. You know, you're at the point in your life where you're thinking about that and, you know, you have options to do what you want to do. Is the industry recognizing that? Are they sensitive to women? I mean, we talked about women in wine and New York probably does a good job with women in key positions. But at some point, you know, maybe they do get married and want to have kids. Is, Is the biz ready for that? I, I sure hope so. I think there's going to be a lot of women in the next few years that are going to be faced with those types of decisions and really talented, smart, articulate women who are hard workers, um, who deserve a, a spot on the floor. Um, and I hope that the industry recognizes and accommodates that need. Um, um, is it to the point? I mean, do you know of restaurants having leave programs and... Things like that. I mean, Danielle was, Danielle was great about okay. that and early on. So I'm an advocate for those bigger, you know, bigger corporations that have that structure right. for, for women who are looking for their place. Because I think those, um, you know, those companies are, are, are more suitable right. to, to host that type of... Uh, we hope that everybody, you know, is sensitive so to too. that at any level. There's yeah. really no excuse for large, medium, or small. Not Everybody, at all. you know, should be aware of Agreed. that. Agreed. Yeah. Um, you'll have to email me <laughs> when you have a kid. I'll let but you know. <laughs> we're not worried about that now. I think I'm good. All right. I want to talk to you about retail wine. Oh, yeah. We talked about the restaurant biz. We talked about, you know, what it's like being there. I want to talk to you about retail wine, and I want to talk to you about Parcel. You know, specifically a little later on. Um, 
help me with this because I think people are intimidated by wine. Yeah. We know they get intimidated by sommeliers. Yeah, big time. They get intimidated by wine lists. Mm -hmm. Some people handle it well. Some people take the wrong direction, not on purpose, just because they don't want to look stupid in front of their friends or whatever. Yeah. I think people may have the same anxiety when they walk into a wine shop. Absolutely. You know, it's like, what, what, what do I do here and all of that? Yep. So let's talk about, you are a wine expert. Now you have your hand in retail. Give me some advice. Let's assume somebody can identify a good local store, you know, not the crappy commodity store. That For they, sure. Yeah. They, they walk in and they kind of know what they like, but they don't know what they want. They walk in. What, what should they do? What, what would ensure that they walk out of there with good stuff? And stuff they like. Honestly. Which which the question is, what do you do? How what, do you handle it? What do I that? do? First off, I mean, as you were, and I think this comes from um, my my experience on the floor is, you know, the first thing that you do when someone sits down at your table is you help them with a glass of water, right? You got to get them comfortable. Connection. And you make a connection. That's not a transaction. That's not a, what can I help you with? It's just like, it's a welcome. It's a, hey, it's creating an environment that feels good. And so I have to say that we did a really great job of creating an environment, a shop that's beautiful and that feels good. And so when people walk into the shop, I offer them a glass of wine. You really? Know? Yeah. There's so that's not a norm throughout the industry. So that's I personal so. to you in the store, yeah. and that's an icebreaker. Yeah, it's an icebreaker. So now it's, you got that. Now Something's what open, you know, you want to splash, and then I start a conversation. Um, I give them some space. And I give them some time. I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of being attacked when I personally go shopping, and I know that everyone's kind of their distance. And I think what's helped me is that, you know, I have intuition, and I kind of know if they're interested or if they're not, if they're just browsing, and I'll ask, you know, what brings you to the building? So there's a sizing up stage. For sure. Um, any professional will say that, right. you know, uh, that's what they do. Um, and I'll ask them why they're in the neighborhood or in the shop, and I'll explain a little bit about the selection and how the shop was kind of curated and designed. And um, as they're sipping we'll, wine... We'll get to that, but yeah. do you have... A list of questions or things you no. go through that I, I don't mean formal, yeah, but to educate you to what that guy wants. I mean, are you going to ask him? Sure, I'll say like, what are you into? Or you know, um, I like red. I like red wine. Great. Um, you know, it's not for, enough. From where? Or um, you know, is there any you know producer in particular that you're you're into or a region that you're excited about? And um, I kind of. It's very, it's very individual. It, it's very spontaneous. Um, uh, I don't have like a set spiel, or, um, and and I think that's what people like. Um, right. I, you know, I'm the, not. The pressure's not there. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm often again. I'm give. I give a lot of you know our guests the space. I let them kind of come to me, and um, I think right off the bat, just they know that it's a curated selection, and so they'll ask, tell them a little about the yeah. store. but. If I'm the consumer, are there a few things that I should be clear about or articulate? Like, I don't want to spend more than 20 bucks. Absolutely. Or I don't like buttery Chardonnays. Or For sure. I mean, you know, I mean, you got to push the customer to have some prep 
They can't be. I don't know. Exactly. Right? So you pull that out you of You pull them out. I mean, are, is there a price point that you're looking uh, you know, to spend within? Uh, you know, Again, red or white, sparkling, what's the occasion? Um, are you cooking tonight? What are you cooking? Um, things like right. that. Right. Food is an important Food's part. A, food's a huge part of retail. Most and people are shopping for a meal or, you know, for yeah, a party. They're or on whatever. their way, you know, home from work and they want to grab a bottle of wine and they're cooking or they're ordering in. And so you'll go through all of that with them and at some point you're satisfied what you think they want, what they're telling you that you can you kind make. of add, you add all those elements okay. and you kind of, you start from there. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk specifically about Parcel. We talked about people walking in and what they should know and, you know, how you're going to handle them. But when you walk into a store like Parcel, which is unique, mm. you know what's available and how to get to it. So we're talking to Christine Collado. Christine is at Parcel Wine in New York City. We're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, I got a bunch more questions. We're going to subject Christine to our wine list. And we're going to taste some Rui from uh, France. You're listening to The Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. All right, we're back with my guest, Christine Collado. Christine worked her way through some of the greatest restaurants in New York and now is at Parcel Wine, which is in the uh, Hudson Yards section of New York City, a very hot area. All right, Christine, let's talk a little specifically about uh, Parcel, the wine store. We talked about retail and you know, if you're a consumer, if you go in, what you should do. Um, how would you describe Parcel? And is there a mission? What's your mission to accomplish? I think our mission across the board was, you know, to have a conversation to make wine accessible. 
I think um, a lot of people. What does that mean, accessible? Accessible in the way that you talk about wine, in the way that you present it, um, the platforms in which you choose to to showcase your wine. Um, uh, I, I knew that, you know, what made people comfortable, even in the settings that I had worked in the past, was the way that I could talk to them about wine. Um, you could. It's not about dumbing it down, but it's about simplifying it and making that guest feel empowered and and feel good about the choices that they've made. Right. I always used to say that, you know, I'm not the driver, I'm the navigation. And so you're in the driver's seat and, and you're making the choices and you're spending the money that you choose to spend, but I'm here just to navigate you. Um, and you can take that or not. Right. And uh, I think that that really helped in the way in which I approach um, the guests that come into Parcel. So... We mentioned this earlier. Parcel is part of the Delicious Hospitality Group, which is Legacy Records, which the store is right next to. Legacy Records yep. restaurant. It's just it shares in the same building, Henry Hall. Charlie Bird and Pasquale Jones. Does what the restaurants do and how they approach wine affect how you run the store or stock it? Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely have um, a pulse and an awareness of what's going on in each one of those, you know, programs, and um, you know, a, a nice, a nice option for someone who is dining at, at at those restaurants is that they know that I can perhaps source that same wine for them if they're interested. So the, a lot of the restaurant wines are available at the store. Yeah, there's there's several. Okay. Um, the whole you know collection is not just Charlie Bird or Legacy or right. But um, but yeah. But not every wine store is associated with restaurants, so there's some kind of circle. With Absolutely, all of that. as there should be. It, right. it makes it makes sense. Is there any approach? Here comes the natural wine question. <laughs> is there any approach to sustainable, organic, absolutely low intervention wines? Is that part of it? Is that a big part of it? Is it's that not something? everything. I think that um, we're we're. You know, I don't judge a wine because it's a natural wine, and I don't put it on the shelf because I think it's commercial and I think it's trendy to have a natural wine on the shelf. Right. Um, I think that's just such an added bonus, and I'm fortunate to have you know all of those growers on their shelves. Um, I think work in sustainable ways, and um, but I, I don't necessarily have to, you know, be the proponent of natural wine. You know, I wouldn't say that Parcel's a natural wine shop. You know. Right. It's, it's, but. Do you feel, because of what's out there and what people want, there's a decent amount on the shelves? Oh, or a, absolutely. I mean, is, that's what's happening today yeah, a but little, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I would think people would want to walk into a legacy and know those kind of selections exist. Uh, all, yeah, so all of the growers that we... it's definitely on the scene, but it's, it's not... Like, I had Jorge Riera on. He put a natural wine program together. Yep. <laughs> Labeled that. There were natural wine stores. <laughs> That's not it, but there's a lot of selections available. Um, would you say there is a regional skew there? If I said what percentage of wines are from one region, would yeah, that region think, represent more than the others? I think naturally it's uh, heavy on French and Italian. Um, and then, um, but there's a, a lot of movement and uh, a lot of wines from Spain that I'm putting on the shelf and. Um, from you know the New World, Northern California, in particular, that you know we're all really excited about. So let's talk about what excites you a little. Yeah. Um, talking about wine. I hear you. <laughs> um, 
What up? Uh, so you mentioned Northern California. There's a French skew and Italian skew. Is the French and Italian skew a little connected to the restaurant? You know, because they're French and Italian. Yeah, but I think that's by by nature too. Okay, I mean, I've only worked with programs that really have heavily focused on French or Italian. Right. Um, and I think with uh, with Grant as well, I, I think there's a, a true devotion to the wines of Italy and and France. So let's talk about some producers that are you know at the store. Um, before you answer that, answer this. I mean, the store pays attention to seasonality, right? Yes. I mean, if it's winter, you'll probably see hardier wines. If it's summer, you may see the rosés and some cool whites. Um, so that's important. So that affects what's on the shelves. But what's, tell me, give me, I'm looking for producers, regions, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean. What are you loving? What I'm loving, I mean, champagne is always, I think, okay. uh, is, is a big thing. It's always been a focal point. In you got I've, a maker or two you like? Oh, I love the wines of Etienne Calzac. I'm a huge C-A-L-Z-A-C? S-A-C. S-A-C. Calzac. Okay. Yeah. He's fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm a big lover of the wines of Georges Laval and Champagne and Comiere. Okay. Um, Give me yeah. some non-champagne. Non-champagne. Um, Italian, French. For Loire, sure. Or all out of Yeah. I think uh, for Italian, uh, being, uh, you know, even Yeri wine, Salvo Foti from, uh, from Etna. Okay. Um, what else? Valentini. Etna's uh, Sicily? Yeah, Sicily. Okay, so you're excited about Sicilian wines? I think they're really exciting. Great uh, value. Amazing value. There's a freshness. There's Good food such wines. that mineral, great food wines. Okay. Um, yeah. um, give me something from France. Something from France. I mean, can I can I shout out the wine that we're drinking? Yeah, now? and then we'll we'll talk about it more. Yeah. So t- just tell it without getting into it. Tell us what it is and why. Chardonnay from Burgundy, um, from a village called Rui. R U L L Y. Correct. And it's a way to drink white Burgundy at a level that's not too expensive. Yeah, it's a gateway into understanding just um, that Burgundy is still there's parts of Burgundy that are still accessible. This is the Cote Macanay. Uh, this is the Chalonnais. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, and we're going to taste this in a few minutes, um, but that's the perfect example of getting into a region at a good price with good quality. And this is the type of wine that's on the shelves. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, this is the type of wine that I think gets you into um, kind of having that as your everyday wine and then doing a little bit of research and 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 that being a gateway to producers like Dominique Lafon, like Jean-Marc Rouleau, um, like all the big boys, but we have to start somewhere, right? Right. And, and I think this is a great place to start. And by the way, if you don't graduate to those guys, you're in good shape drinking exactly. this stuff. Exactly. No, I'm happy with this. What, um, so it's a curated list. You walk in and there's about how many selections. This is important because it's a specific type of wine store. Yeah. You're very selective in how much wine and what wine. At the moment, it's about 150 on the shelf. Okay. Um, 150 different wines? Yeah. Okay. Um, would, what would you say price range the sweet spot is? The sweet spot? I mean, I have something on the shelf as inexpensive as 20 bucks. So 20 on the high end on the shelf, uh, I would say high hundreds, you know, 130, 150. But that's a minority of the wines. If you push that guy out, you're looking at a lot of selections, what, 20 50. to 50. Yeah. And killer curated wines and all of that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and what about 
I mean, these are wines that are ready to drink now, right? I mean, the idea that is... Was a whole, that was the whole plan. Explain I mean, what you mean by a wine that's in drinking condition. Well, drinking condition to, can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, right? right? But I think in terms of when you're purchasing wine for consumption the day of or perhaps in a few days' time, you want something that's showing well and, and has um, that life and, and, and freshness that's apparent in the wine. Um and I think that it's not just about current release wines, but having a a real understanding of a vintage and where it is at at its time, and then um, deciding on if it's you know appropriate to have that on the shelf. So, if there's a wine you know well known and it comes out and it's just not ready to drink, either traditionally it needs you know years in the bottle. That's not necessarily a wine that makes sense. To put on the shelf right away. Yeah, but we still have the wine. It's in our cellars. Right. I mean, what's on the shelf is just a small snapshot of what... Right. That's two the, different things. In the cellar waiting to go on and something that's ready to drink, which Absolutely. plays into the point And we have of, clients and we have guests that um, that acquire those wines um, upon release and, and cellar them as they should. So we, uh, we talked about this earlier. What's harder at a restaurant, a smaller wine list or a larger wine list? Is that the same thing for a wine store? For sure. You got to like hit hit the right spots because you only have a few spots. You know, I, I walk around the shop often and um, I look at what's on the shelf and I'll say, okay, we have a wine from Burgundy that's 35 and we have another that's 75. Um, where is that wine that's 60? Where is that wine that's 80 bucks? Where is that wine that's, you know, the next stepping stone or... Um, and I, I make a, a real, a real conscious effort to take a look at what's on the shelf and what's being displayed. And um, is that grower the best grower from Barbaresco, you know, that we have for that price and for that everyday consumer? So part of managing the frustration of a smaller list is always I, I, reviewing everything. I, I, I mean, do you get a, frustrated not that at you all. can't have? You know, no, I love it. It's like I, love I need it. more skews. No, or it fine tunes. It fine okay. tunes your palate. It fine tunes your decisions, and uh, you have to really believe in it if you put it on the shelf. It's not just an excuse or a filler. It's it's something that you know we took a lot of time in thinking about, um, and 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 feel really proud about. No, it's great. I so that's it. why, if you're serious about wine, you're interested in wine, um, you really want to get the right stuff in your hands. You're only going to drink the best there. You, you, know? you have to go to stores. And the good news is Parcel is as good as anybody doing it, but there are a bunch of other stores. You know, kudos to the oh, small curated wine guy. For sure. Um, in that sense. I mean, you have a great story with delicious hospitality, contiguous to the restaurant, yeah. your background and all that. But there are a lot of passionate guys in Brooklyn and New Jersey and Westchester and all of that. Um, so we need to support those guys. All right, Christine, we're going to subject you to our wine list. It's five <laughs> questions. We ask the same five questions. You should be nervous because I'm right. coming at you hard. All right. Okay? I'm ready. And you can't get up and walk out. I won't. Because I'll won't. get Will to hold you down. I hear you. Um, we ask the same questions to everybody. Uh, don't dwell on them. All right. Let's move along. Let's do it. The first question is, what is Christine drinking now? What am I drinking? For personal, for the store. <laughs> Samples, <laughs> sample one. But what? But, so you push all that aside and you go, "This is good. I'm bringing this home." What's no. on the table? 
um, I don't know, uh, muscadet. I, I'm like, okay. I, I love like briny, crunchy, raw um, white wine that um, that's dry and Give fresh. Give me a maker or two that you love. Um, I mean, Pipier is like, you know, okay. classic, great. Classic. Like, Give me one more. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I'm. What I have on the shelf right now. Uh, Anything you got? Something besides Muscadet? Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that you know, champagne again. Okay. Um, something that's like crushable and easy drinking. Um, Barash, of course, like his Brut Reserve Barèche? is yeah. Is Barash a good value champagne? Oh my god, the okay. best. B e r e c h e. Correct. So Raphael. if you're looking yeah. for a delicious champagne at a reasonable price, yep. Barash. Okay, so those are good ones. Hands down. All right. So we asked Christine Collado, what is your favorite wine and food pairing? Kind of a silly question, the goofiest one on the list. But your pairing was an important part of your career. Oh, yeah. What, uh, what resonates with you? Not s- that you eat it every night. but no. what, And you know we have a Grape Nation rule. What is that? No champagne and oysters. Okay, that's fine. Okay? All Anything right. but. Anything but. Um... Well, can I stick with champagne? A hundred percent. Champagne, turbo, uh, cream sauce, and mushrooms. Turbo the fish, T-U-R-B-O-T. Correct. Why turbo? I love uh, when turbo is... Uh, it's a pre- firm, white... When it's prepared, you know, correctly, um, it's one of the most, you know, unctuous and textural fishes um what kind of sauce uh white like cream okay uh, yeah with, and that's great with champagne which, with yeah with Cuts through the sauce oh yeah because a lot of times pairing is sometimes more about the sauce it's all about than, the sauce right because yeah. you could screw it up if you just pair it with the fish for sure all right that is a grape nation first champagne and turbo <laughs> oh, the usage yeah. of champagne well, thank you doing well so far <laughs> um you get around and about you're brooklyn born brooklyn native yeah Give me some favorite wine restaurants and or bars. Well, Guys that are doing it well, selection, knowledge, fun. Well, let's keep it in Brooklyn, right? Let's go. Um, Frank's. I, I love... John Patterson. Oh, my God. He's he a, just he he's, just switched to a wine he's bar. He's a freaking sweetheart. The wine list is impressive. And uh, every time I go there, you know, I try... I guess I try not to look at other people's wine lists. I don't know if that's kind of crazy to say, but... Um, I, I, I kind of just go with what I like in my palate, but every time I go there, I feel um, I feel happy that him and I kind of align, and I see a lot of the selections that I have on the shelf with what he has on the list. I and, got your back on and that one. Cool. You yeah. got one more? Yeah. Um, I actually think that Four Horsemen, I recently had dinner Another there. Another Brooklyn Williamsburg? Shit. Wow. That's a natural wine. I, yeah, it is. You know what? But they, they do, they're doing it right. And, uh, Justin. And there, and I was really impressed by my meal there and the service, uh, the wine list. I agree with you. Really, the really. The food is terrific. Really happy about that. All right, that. let's keep it in Brooklyn. All cool. right, so those are two good choices. Um, as I always say, we're going to post your answers on our social media I'm and cool what we're that. drinking and all that. Um, do you have a favorite all time wine? It, sometimes Ooh. it's more than one. This is tough. I always say this. Sometimes it's not the rarest, most expensive. It's the experience. Yeah. What comes to mind under any of those? I have to say that, you know, I, I was truly spoiled in my time in working. Where I would I've think at yeah. Brooklyn Fair and so it Dynex. Is, it, is a, it is probably a luxurious wine. Let's just go. Because, uh, wow. Let's go, you snob. <laughs> I'm not a snob. Come on. Come on. Uh, 61 Les Chappelle. 
Jesus. I know. 61 La Chapelle, that is what, Hermitage? Yeah. And that is Iron, all Syrah? All Syrah. Now, was 61 like one of these oh, drop dead vintages? Absolutely. 61 Bordeaux was great. It's a rarity. Right? I okay. mean, that, that wine. Uh, and just ethereal? Oh, it was everything that. Uh, and where did you drink that? I was I drank that at Danielle. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. And yeah. I. Th- Old Hermitage is not a first, but that particular vintage in that one. I knew drinking it that it was probably the first and last time that I would have it. All right, last question. And God damn it, if you're not the perfect person <laughs> to answer this question, because oh you got to understand, I have winemakers in here, yeah. sommeliers, journalists. Oh, gosh. Here's the question. Pressure's on. Best wine around 15 bucks. Oh, shit. <laughs> 15 to 20 retail. I need a red and I need a white. And here's the setup. Okay. My son, William, here. All right. He's in his mid-20s. Got it. He's going to a, par- a party. He's okay. trying to impress some friends. You can't send this guy out with a $9 bottle of wine. And he can't afford 40 All right. So he's 15, 18, 20, 21. Got it. Give me a red. Give me a white. You can give me a region like Muscadet. You can give me the maker. You can give me a grape. Um, I would say Riesling for Wait, sure. Wait, hold on. Uh- don't screw this up. What's up? Go ahead. No, don't screw the answer. I won't. I won't. All right, Riesling for white. Riesling for white. I would say, you know, the wines of Keller, uh, Uli Stein. Um, these are, are true, true vignerons. These are real Agreed. wines and that hold such amazing... In that price range. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's, okay, so Keller and Uli Stein, Riesling categorically. Hands those down. are the makers. Yep. Great. Great food wines, party wines, delicious. Go with the red. The red wines, I would have to say. Don't go soft on no, me. No, I'm not. In that price point, God, Beaujolais is not even that price anymore, right? Isn't well, that, uh, is maybe. there any village stuff at 20, 22 bucks? Yeah, I think some. I mean, uh, actually, Michelle Smith's uh, Beaujolais, her Beaujolais the village. Yeah. Okay. That's just right, uh, right around 25, 30 bucks on the shelf. But All right, so we'll accept that because that's good. But right. now we got to back into the price range. All right. got to put your noggin to work here my noggin to work jesus what's a good red 20 bucks 20 bucks oh i know jean-louis chave his moncour the coteron all right so chave great winemaker yeah moncour is what it's a blend of grenache and syrah m-o-n-c-u-r c-o-e-u-r okay and it is a blend of what grenache and syrah great grapes yeah it's a coteron and you're figuring around 20? Yeah, it's 20 bucks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hands down, you're talking about a legendary winemaker. And if you're talking, you know, an okay. accessible gateway. I agree. Yeah. All right. So A plus. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, like I said, we'll post all of those. Um, Christine, we're going to have to rush out of here. So we got a lot of stuff to do before we you. leave. Um, every week we taste a different wine on air. I asked Christine if she'd be kind enough uh, to bring in a bottle that is interesting, accessible, reasonable for us to taste on the air. So she brought in a 2017 Paulette Marie Jacqueson Grand Vin de Bourguignon Rui from the Cote Chalonnais region in Burgundy. Just give me a minute history on this wine. I mean, this is um, at this point, this is run by uh, brother and sister team. 
um, Ruiz and Appalachian, the Cote Chalonnais, which I think is really exciting. You have some really... Cote Chalonnais part of Burgundy. Yes. So we're in the Burgundy, white Burgundy region. For sure. Um, an Appalachian that's definitely more well-known for its whites versus its reds, but they produce both. Um, and this grower, I actually was introduced to it about a year ago at this time. Um, and I was excited because I, I loved the price point. I thought the wine was classic and what would you would expect from a white burgundy, you know. It checks all the boxes. For sure. It's mineral. It has that broadness, but but tension on palate. Um, and, and I think that uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of get into burgundy and, and taste something that has real... So burgundy is so expensive, inaccessible. Um, doesn't have to be. Mysterious. This is a great white burgundy at a price in Burgundy with a region that makes terrific wines. For sure. All right, let's, uh, let's evaluate this. So we're going to give it a sniff and throw it over the tongue. Let's go color first. Okay. So it's kind of a light golden yellow, right? Yep. Not too deep, not too intense. No. All right, Christine, get that schnoz in there and tell me what you're getting on the nose. I mean, it's um, it's those classic nuances of like apple and kind of that toast and a little bit of that oak that's showing on the nose just so this is aged in some oak uh it sees about 20 percent. okay uh, so there's a teeny bit of oak yeah just a bit and is that a traditional or a classic i would say so white burgundy yeah. nose so and what i liked about this wine and not to get too technical was that it wasn't overly reductive and that's been a, a not at all a huge trend in burgundy now right this is not um, reductive and it's not and i and i made that conscious choice in buying the wine and also bringing it here because uh, i wanted to kind of just talk about a little bit more of a classic um, way in which um, burgundy was introduced to me so give me descriptors on the nose did you do that already i forgot <laughs> How much wine did you have? <laughs> well, we drank champagne before you came. Yeah, out we're good. We're good. Um, I would have to say, I mean, I, I just I smell like that mineral kind of so there's a salty, there's um, a salinity, but almost um, kind of a, an, a deeper, richer kind of apple-like nuance. So, so, I think this is very classic Chardonnay okay. on its nose. All right, let's go mouthfeel. What I enjoy most, and we're having this... Pretty full, right? It's it's fuller. There's presence Medium on the palate. plus. For sure. Um, but <coughs> there's also structure in the wine. It's not uh, loose or Tell blousy. Tell people when you say structure, what does that mean? Uh, that means there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. It's um, not simple. It has... It has uh, length. It has... Uh, right. You know, it makes you think a little bit. I mean, this wine, I think, provokes a more cerebral approach to drinking wine. Agree. Um, all right, let's uh, throw it over the tongue and tell me what you get on the palate. Give me some descriptors. I suck at this, so that's why I brought you. I don't believe that. Um, do the palate descriptors match some or a lot of the uh, All of it. Nose? And I, and I so there's apple on the palate, minerality. That what crunch, else? that tension. What does crunch mean? Uh, Raj crunch, Parr's favorite word. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Everything's crunchy oh, really? that he loves. But tell people what you mean by it's, crunchy. It's the essence of, of soil, of place. It's that chalk. It's that mineral uh, composition. All those things All of that those you things, can taste. Um, that, that give the wine texture. Okay. Um, what, um, anything else? Any other fruits or anything? The I think apple? it's all about kind of that orchard 
um, okay. apple pear. More orchidy fruits. Yeah. Pears, apples. Great. That's a great description. All right. Last thing on this wine. Give me the pairings. That makes sense. Mm, roast chicken. I great mean, with chicken. I, I have this, you know, I think about this wine. I think about roast chicken. I think about... Um, Where else can you go with this? Uh, I can do fish, you know, you can do... Grilled uh, fish. Grilled or, fish, uh, for sure. I, I, can it, you go with... Like salmony, fattier fishes. I would or go with a whiter, a white fish. Okay, um, you know, halibut or or things of that nature that kind of right. can take to various the, styles. The of white, sort of flaky, but some texture fish. And like I also turbo. think I also yeah, I also think something with a fish with a grill on it that smoke. Right, um, will accentuate that. a little bit of of some of the flavors here. Do we like this wine or do we love this wine? I I wouldn't bring anything that I like. I right. love everything. And give me approximate retail. Uh, this is thirty five on the shelf right okay. now. Okay, so pretty damn good wine for the price Absolutely. and a good entry point into Burgundy. Yeah. So that's the two thousand seventeen PM Jacasson Grand Vin de Bourguignon Rui from the Cote Chalonnais region in Burgundy. Um, thank you for bringing that in. Thank and you that so much. answers the question of, you know, what kind of burgundies can I drink for a reasonable price? And that Plenty. checks that box. Yeah. All right, Christine, we're going to wrap up the show. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Um, Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby. And follow the hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, on Twitter, we're at BenRuby and the hashtag uh, The Grape Nation. Also, subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Like I said earlier, we'll post all of Christine's um, wine recommendations, selections. I'll post her wine list. I'll post the wine that we drank and some of the other wines that she mentioned um, on our media sites. Christine, if we want to follow you and we want to find out more about um, Parcel, where should we go on social media? Sure. Or I'm, tell I'm me at, where. Uh, I'm at Christine Collado. Um, C- spell it out. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, C-O-L-L-A-D-O. Okay. And then Parcel Wine um, on our Instagram. All right. That's P-A-R-C-E-L-L-E. All right. One last thing. My friend Daniel Johns is doing um, La Pole. Oh, yeah. Uh, That is the end of next week. Uh, Go to lapole.com for more information. For people that are looking to get into Burgundy and fancy schmancy events like that. He has a terrific under 40 package. So go to lapaulet.com for more information. I want to thank our guest, Christine Collado, for coming in. Thanks to our engineer, Matt, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Van Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.